Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, the series where we discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that we believe are shaping the future of retail. And today we've got a special return engagement. Today we are joined by David Sobey, the co-founder and CEO of Happy Returns. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Man, it is great to have you back. I'm excited about this one. We, Ann and I, I mean, and gosh, we've been a fan again. I think we said this in the last, like, how long has it been now? Oh, I mean, since back in California and the, when we went to the first returns bar you guys were doing in Santa Monica place, I think. Yeah, it was like 2015 or something. Yeah. April, yeah. 2016. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Well, I know that was, and it was, I, I don't think I told you, I haven't told you this either, but that podcast we did, which I don't remember when it was, it was probably, probably close to a year ago now, maybe not quite a year, but that is actually one of our most listened to podcasts of all time. So I think it's in our, our top five of all time. And if I'm not mistaken, it's actually number two all time for those listening. So we wanted to have David back because his company has been making some serious waves of late, just like in the last couple of weeks, a series of huge announcements. And so we asked David to come on and just break those down for us. We're going to get to those in a minute. But most importantly, I think let's start for those that are maybe new to Happy Returns, new to OmniTalk, new to the podcast. Break it down for us. What is Happy Returns? How did you guys start? Tell us what you're all about first before we get going. Yeah. Um, so Happy Returns is tackling the painful challenge of returning products purchased online, um, which you could probably guess from the name. Um, so we sell two things. We sell return software and reverse logistics to retailers who sell online. And the idea is that we want to, you know, our, our, our mission statement as a company is to make returns beautiful. Um, which is kind of a funny thing. Um, and I always say that you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, um, in this case, in the eye of the stakeholder. And, and so <clears throat> you know, making returns beautiful, you know, we think about shoppers who want a friction-free experience, um, retailers, you know, a beautiful return for a merchant is one that even never happens because you know, instead of a refund, it ends up being an exchange or um, a low cost return is a beautiful return. Um, and then for the planet, you know, a beautiful return is one that right. doesn't involve lots of cardboard or greenhouse gas wastes, right? Uh, you know, a beautiful return is one that's sustainable. And so that's kind of our, our mission as a business. Um, the way we get into this, to, to this is kind of a cool story. Um, I met my partner, Mark Geller, uh, about a decade ago. Uh, we were both working for a flash sale retailer here in Los Angeles called Hotlook. And if you know the Hotlook story, um, we ended up getting bought by Nordstrom. And so one of the programs that Mark and I worked on together after, after they bought us was letting Hotlook shoppers buy online because we were an online only business and return products to Nordstrom Rack stores. And, and sort of marrying what we did, which was e-commerce uh, with what Nordstrom Rack had, which was a physical footprint. Um, and, and so the insights that we gained building that return to rack program are, are directly what led to founding the company. Um, and when we went out to raise money, you know, our seed round, you know, we, we kind of said, hey, we're the guys that built, you know, return to rack and we want to replicate that case study. You know, the, the sort of elevator pitch was, you know, buy online, return to store for retailers without stores. And we said, hey, we're just going to, you know, replicate, take, take what we learned, which is that if you give online shoppers the choice, you know, print a label, pack it up, you know, tape, right. tape it up, wait to get your money back or go in person to a physical location and drop your items off. They overwhelmingly prefer, you know, to drop it off. And, and from a logistics perspective, if you can get that first mile free, right? In logistics, everyone talks right. about the last mile uh, cost. Well, in, in returns, 
it's reverse logistics, so it's the first mile. And, and so if you can get that customer to drop that item off, now you've got them the first mile free, it sort of unlocks all these opportunities to save money and be more efficient on the logistics side. You said something there, David, too, I want to ask you about. You said the, the overwhelming preference. Like, what is what is the preference there? Do you have any metrics on that? I'm just curious. I didn't get to ask you that the last time, like, that people uh, prefer to just drop it off versus, like, try to send it back. Yeah, so true story. When, when we launched the Return to Rack program, everyone put five bucks in a pool in the office, and they had to guess, like, what percent of Hotlooks returns would, would go back to Rack. Uh, okay. Six months of launch. Um, the high guess in the pool was, like, 30%. And so fast forward six months, the number was actually 75%. Oh, that's right. I think I remember this now. Yeah. And if you, if you, you know, today, I, I don't think Nordstrom discloses this, but today it's like, you know, up over 80% of Hotlooks returns go back to the rack. So, you know, four and five shoppers, if you give them the choice, you know, print, you know, we, we talk about like the, the arts and crafts project of, of mailing a return back or getting your car and going somewhere, interacting with a human, having your refund or exchange initiated on the spot. Well, they, you know, overwhelmingly prefer to do that um, because, you know, returning online purchases sucks. Like, let's just be honest. It's like completely broken. I was gonna say it's, you know, it's, it's broken from a consumer experience, but it's also really broken from a merchant experience as well. Um, and, and so that's, you know, a big part of what we're, we're trying to do is, you know, as I said, remove that friction from the shopper side, but really um, make it more efficient for, for retailers. Got it. And so, and so, so transition then I say, so for pre COVID, you, you know, what was the business model then in implementation? And then we'll talk about how you've had to pivot some things, I imagine. Yeah. So in really simple terms, you know, we, as, as I said, we sell the two things. We sell software that uh, basically enables return portals on retailer websites. And then we connect that shopper online return and exchange flow experience to physical drop-off points. Um, and so pre-COVID, we had 700 of these physical drop-off points. Um, so, you know, Hey, after you return, I start on the retailer's website. Uh, I, you know, I either return or exchange and I get a QR code um, and directions to a drop-off point. Walk into the drop-off point, scan the QR code um, and have my refund or exchange initiated you know, right there on the spot. So pre-COVID, we're, we're rocking. You know, we've got, I don't know, 30, 40 customers and 700 of these drop-off points. And you know, we're growing and, and 2020 was supposed to be all about you know, big customers. Um, and then COVID hit, and in a two-week period, we went from having 700 drop-off locations open to zero, <laughs> because oh. all of our locations were in physical retail, you know, shopping malls, and then right. big, big partner networks like we work with Paper Source and Cost Plus World Market, and all those stores closed. And so, you know, we're there, sort of scratching our heads, first week of April, going, uh, "Now what? Right? Now <laughs> like, what? Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a huge pivot. Holy crap!" Well, you know, and there was this quite, there were, there were a couple of questions. One was like, will, will physical retail come back? Well, sure. You know, we all assume physical retail will come back at some point. The other was, will shoppers be willing to come do this task in person? Um, you know, will they want to actually have that, that interaction? And so and wasn't there, weren't there, sorry, but weren't there questions about return handling and safety and things like that too? Like, weren't you up against that kind of dynamic as well at that point in time? I remember, I kind of remember that being an issue. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of, you know, early days of COVID, no one knew, right? Does the virus live on a surface? You know, could it be transmitted through something that someone tried on, et cetera? Um, so there were all these uh, completely understandable, but, you know, unfounded concerns as it turns out around, you know, just the interaction of handing somebody goods. So, you know, what ended up happening was 
retail slowly started to reopen. You know, the first dates were in May and then, you know, June, July were kind of when things started coming back online. We modified our process uh, to be completely contact free. So that was one really big thing. And that was, you know, to try to give shoppers the confidence that this was still safe, but also for our location partners. Um, you know, they were, they're excited about the foot traffic, but then their, you know, the employees were saying, Hey, is this going to be safe? Um, right. We went to completely contact free, meaning you have to start with a QR code to facilitate the drop off. Um, what that the QR code does is it lets it be far faster. Um, and, and we even engineered the process such that, you know, the shopper scan, you know, the shopper holds up their QR code. Uh, the store associate hands them a poly bag and says, you know, you bag the item. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then they, you know, the shopper holds up the poly bag uh, again, you know, with the item in it so that the QR code on the outside of the poly bag can be scanned, sort of connecting the return with the physical mm. item. And then the shopper puts, you know, the item into one of our shipping totes, one of the reusable totes. And so the whole process could be contact free. So that was kind of step one. Wow. Step two was then kind of getting all of our location partners back online. And, and this was my gosh, it was like, I mean, imagine like a big spreadsheet with the states and the municipalities and the partner and, you know, what can be open in Texas versus, you know, California, San Francisco, you know, New York, New Jersey was, was closed for retail for a long time. So it was, it was this patchwork of what's coming online when and making sure that our partners all knew that we had made these changes around QR codes being mandatory. And, and um, so that was kind of, we dealt with over the summer and then you know, the other thing which we kind of leaned into when we, when the, when the discussions with merchants sort of understandably, you know, were put on hold was really trying to lean into partnerships and trying to lean into things that could de-risk the company and sort of build a thriving ecosystem around, you know, what we do. And, and mm-hmm. so you mentioned at the outset, some, some of the announcements we've had, you know, the, the two big ones were a partnership with FedEx that we announced last week uh, to offer FedEx office, uh, there are 2000 of these locations around the country that now accept uh, happy returns. Yeah, let's let's talk about that in a second. I wanna ask you one thing though, before we get to that, because that's, I think that is definitely the meat of the bones here, the FedEx partnership and the AMR intelligence partnership that you guys just announced. But like from a management perspective too, because part, you know, a lot of startups listen to us as well, in addition to the retailers, you know, they're trying to get into the space. Like, how did you manage all that? Like, you're not near each other, like, that's a massive pivot. And those three things you just outlined, like not only is it a massive pivot, it's kind of, excuse my language, but it's like a come to Jesus moment of like, how are we going to make this happen? Like, how did you as the CEO manage through all that? What were you doing to kind of get to the point where you could diversify your risks, so to speak? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say that this was like a really humbling experience because I think as a startup CEO, uh, you know, co-founder, you think like, oh, we're just going to work harder or we're going to work smarter. You know, I'm willing to put in more hours. I'm willing to like, and this was not one of those situations. It, it was so humbling because it was like, look, there's just these things that are totally out of your control. Right. And, and there's like some freedom in that in a way, you know, like, you know, well, I mean, I remember saying to our board, like, you know, hey, remember when we met last December and we gave you those scenarios, you know, and our worst case scenario was here? Well, we didn't, we didn't predict that there was actually an even worse. Way beyond that. <laughs> it's like, it's closed. And, you know, and there's sort of freedom in that, like, no one saw it coming and there's really not a whole lot we can, you know, and, and, and I think what, what um, 
you know, if there's one thing that I'm kind of really focused on now, it's not trying to worry about the things that are out of our control, like really just trying to focus. And, and so to some degree, that means like much more shorter term thinking. Um, mm. It's like, what can I do right now? And, 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 you know, and some of these things are really obvious. It was like, hey, if, if our business is at risk because our locations are closed because we're in retail, we got to have a partner that's not a retail partner that isn't subject to this, right? Like that was just like super apparent, you know, that was, that was one. Another was we have to give people confidence that this process is safe. And that was the whole contact free piece. Um, you know, it was like, without those two things, we don't have a business. So, so there's like this, um, you know, it's like all the noise gets tuned out and you're just like, all right, <laughs> like two problems that I have to solve. That's it. Two problems, right? Um, Rest tax. Yeah. Right. Well, David, one thing that you do have going for you, I think, especially as we saw this increase in online ordering and the amount of returns I imagine as a result is that, you know, people's days are driven by having to make those returns. The, the choices that they're making about where they're going to do those returns are largely driven by what's in and around the place, whether it's, you know, the FedEx store or the Walmart or what have, or the paper source, you know, they're, they're designing their days around these trips. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that partnership with FedEx and, and you're now at all of the FedEx office locations. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah. Um, so, so we've worked with FedEx for years as a carrier partner. Um, okay. You know, we ship a lot of stuff. Uh, and so we have worked, uh, you know, we, we've worked with FedEx, we've worked with UPS, probably two and a half years ago, we kind of consolidated all of our shipping with FedEx. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a really cool company. I mean, I, I, um, I've gotten to know that, that team and that business really well. And, you know, I think we, we have this image of like FedEx being kind of a stodgy company to some degree, like, oh, they're one of these two carriers that are this duopoly. But, you know, like FedEx is only 50 years old. And, you know, 50 years ago, they were the kind of original disruptor of logistics. And right. they were like, a, you know, 50 years ago, they were a scrappy startup that was like, hey, there's a better way. And, you know, they pioneered overnight. They, you know, they were the first ones to kind of pioneer tracking of shipments. Um, you know, they were kind of the, I, I joke with our team, like they're the original gangster of, you know, of e-commerce <laughs> logistics disruption. I tell Anna all the time too, their, their founding story is really interesting. Like the guy like bet money at the roulette table or something to like make payroll. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and they have this really cool thing. Uh, it's called the, the purple promise and the purple okay. promise. Um, I think that the actual purple promise is that, uh, you know, every employee makes it, which is I will make every FedEx experience outstanding. Um, and, you know, when you name your company happier turns, you kind of have the same ethos, right? Like your, your, sure. that's your promise right there. So, so as we got to know them as a carrier partner, it just became apparent that there are a lot of things, there are a lot of uh, things that are, uh, you know, we just have a lot in common and we kind of view mm -hmm. the world similarly. And, and so it was just a natural outgrowth of talking to them about, um, you know, some of the technology that they are introducing. Um, they, you know, FedEx has, the, the size and the scope of that organization are, are pretty massive. Um, they, own a bunch of technology in relation to reverse logistics and supply chain. And so a lot of the ideas that we had were things that were kind of already existed inside of FedEx. And we were just kind of discovering the people who, uh, you know, were thinking like us. And so, you know, we, we spent a lot of time with, I've been to Memphis, I've been to, to uh, FedEx offices headquartered in um, Plano, uh, it's the old Kinko's. Um, mm. 
they, they own a business in Pittsburgh, uh, which is their sort of supply chain business. So we've, we've you know, spent time there with teams. And really, I think it just, it was like, hey, there's a lot we could do together. The most obvious thing that we needed and that they have is this distribution network, if, if you will, in, in FedEx office, mm-hmm. right? And, and 2000 FedEx offices around the country that are deemed an essential service and are open, you know, we're open and will continue to be open regardless of pandemic related closures. Um, and so that was kind of, it was kind of like a no brainer, like this just makes sense. And this is where we should start um, is the idea of, of happier returns, you know, customers. So the brands we work with being able to let their shoppers return to FedEx office. And so FedEx office, you know, we announced last week is that uh, it's now official. They've joined the happier returns network. Um, and, you know, if you, if you kind of think about what's happening in, in shipping right now, you know, the demand for shipping services, as, as you point out, Anne, like, you know, e-commerce sort of accelerated three to five years and overnight. So there's just right. a lot more demand than there's capacity. Mm-hmm. And so anything that FedEx can do to increase the capacity and, and have, you know, be able to deliver on that purple promise and have a great customer experience, they're very interested in. Well, we kind of fit the bill in both those, right? Because we aggregate, you know, we, we facilitate aggregated shipping because, you know, we're trying to remove friction from the consumer experience. So there was just a lot of like, this just makes sense. And, and, and that was kind of how the partnership came about. And I think the other cool part of the announcement too, that I wanted to ask you about, and this was a big reason I want to have you on the show today was like, it also gives you some interesting access points, right? Like if I remember reading right in the press release, aren't some of these inside like retail stores too, like Walmart and things like that. So that as I'm a consumer and I'm wanting to return things, like Ann said, like I can, I can do that on my Walmart shopping trip, right? Like yeah. that's kind of a cool little byproduct of this whole thing. Am I right? Or how are you thinking about that? So of the, of the 2,000, um, 343 of them are what they call shopping shops, uh, where office is actually inside of a Walmart. Um, another essential business. Yeah. Another essential business. That's right. Um, and so, you know, back to where our business started, you know, the return bar network inside of retail that we originally built was meant to say for shoppers, like, Hey, there's a, um, there's a utility in this trip, right? You know, you can go to like a paper source and do your return. And then while you're there, maybe you'll buy something. So the, yeah, the, the, the Walmart angle is really, really interesting. You know, the, the, the fact that we sort of had COVID proof the business. And then I gotta say like the breadth and depth that it gives us is, is really cool. And, and, and so I'm gonna give you some stats. So okay. yesterday, you know, we had, it was like, yesterday was our first day of operating. There were over 600 visits to FedEx offices yesterday. And a lot of them were in places that we've never had, you know, in-person returns before. So like Poughkeepsie, New York and Canton, Ohio and Green Bay, Wisconsin, and you know, all these other places where there's a FedEx office that there had never been happy returns before. Um, it also gives us massive depth. And, and what I mean by depth is like density. So we now have 195 locations in the New York metro area, um, 162 in the LA metro area. And, and you know, that kind of density, like e- even if you're Macy's, right? You know, like Macy's has six. Yeah, you're right. They don't have 195 locations in the New York metro area, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like the, the density of coverage and the idea of, you know, a happier returns location being as convenient as any other task that you have is, is what this, this brings. And, and so what we're excited about is, is like, you know, this is just, we're kind of ushering in this era where you know, what we do, box-free 
in-person drop-off of e-commerce returns is now just going to be table stakes, right? The same way kind of free shipping became table stakes, you know, five, six years ago, you know, this idea of like box-free in-person, you know, returns is, is now, is not the norm. Yeah, that last point's really salient too. Yeah, you really, the availability of where the access points are to do that is, is changing rapidly in that regard. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, I would be remiss to suggest that it's just happy returns. I mean, Amazon is playing a huge part in this as well. Um, oh, for sure. But what I would say to retailers is like, you know, next time you buy something on Amazon, you know, go look at the return options and, and you'll see, you know, return to Whole Foods, return to Colts, return to Amazon store, return to the UPS store. Right? Like all of those are presented before you get print a label. Um, all of those are box free. All of those are facilitated by a QR code. All of those enable, you know, what Amazon calls a provisional refund, but basically an immediate refund. Um, you know, those guys in Seattle are pretty smart and, and they're, yeah. they're excited about getting the first mile free too. Yeah, um, they know where the puck's going. Yeah, I mean, you're also, you're set up, I think you're set up to draft off the tailwind too of like things like with Walmart and what they're doing with Shopify potentially in terms of their expanded partnership. And then with these locations of FedEx stores inside Walmarts, to capitalize on some of that movement over time as well. That, I think it's fascinating. I do too. I mean, there's this, absolutely, there's a storyline in like the Amazon ecosystem and the non-Amazon ecosystem and the companies and technologies that are enabling the non-Amazon, right? And, and so, you know, one of the things I've said to, to retailers is like, we offer an Amazon-like return experience with Amazon-like economics for everyone that's not Amazon. And, you know, try to, kit this together yourself, it'd be really hard unless you have the sort of scale that they do. Well, it's, it's companies like Walmart, it's companies like Shopify, you know, FedEx, I'd like to leave happy returns, you know, that are enabling that ecosystem of non Amazon transactions that have that same kind of high bar from a service and perspective and, and a scale that, that offers compelling unit economics. Mm -hmm. And now, David, that's not the only announcement that you guys have had in the last couple of weeks. You also made an announcement with Inmark. Will you tell us a little bit about that arrangement or partnership and what that means for, for future happy yeah. returns? Yeah, this, this one I'm equally excited about. Um, Inmar is a, a massive player in, in reverse logistics. Um, you know, to, to kind of give you some sense of the scale, they, they process 600 million returns a year. Um, is that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're neck and neck. Uh, but, you know, they, this is a business that's been around for 50 years. They, you know, they have facilities all over the country. They work with some of the biggest, um, you know, the biggest names in retail on the return side. And, and what's really neat about, you know, it's not just the scale they operate, but the intelligence, you know, the company's Inmar Intelligence and the intelligence around you know, what do I do with this return? And where is the next best place to sell it? And, you know, I always use the simple, okay. we need a lot in apparel and I always use the simple example of like a swimsuit at the end of the summer. You know, if you're the retailer that sold that, man, you don't want that swimsuit to be returned in September because what are you gonna do with it? You know, you're gonna pay to get it back and you're gonna pay to put it back on the shelf and it's just gonna sit there for months you know, you carrying the cost of the inventory until the spring where you'll have to mark it down because the next year's swimsuits are out and no one wants last year's and right. And, and so, you know, the, the yeah. intelligence layer that Inmar has around intelligent dispositioning, um, you know, that's stuff that we've had, you know, 
dreams on the whiteboard of for five years now. And to, to be able to partner with somebody that sort of kits together what we do, which you know, we think is pretty, pretty neat, um, with, what, with the scale that they operate on and, the, and the, the intelligence that they've developed over decades is pretty special. As you're explaining these things, one, all of the information that you're getting from now 2,000 FedEx locations and some of the shop and shops, the 300 plus shop and shops in Walmarts, and this partnership with Inmar, are you thinking about, you know, is there a future where Happy Returns is its own standalone entity? Like as we're thinking about how retail is evolving and the, I think even like street level use cases or, you know, open vacancies that are coming about now because of this kind of transition that retail is going through. I mean, how are you guys thinking about taking all of these components that you're working on right now and applying those to a future strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there's, you know, we've been around for five years. We've raised uh, $25 million in venture capital. And and I think we've, um, we have a discipline around trying to be as asset light as we can be. Sure. Um, you know, and, and what's funny is like, we started like our first return bar, the first physical drop-off point was literally one that we, we built a kiosk and we had right. it and we staffed it and we had people that would show up every day wearing a happy return shirt and they would stand there. Mm-hmm. And you guys remember this, you were there, right? Yeah, we reached it, yeah. You know, and then it was like, well, how do you scale that across the country? Well, you know, man, that'd be a lot of employees, that'd be a lot of kiosks you'd have to build, a lot of leases you'd have to sign. And so we kind of transitioned to this you know, let's use the concierge desk in the mall because, you know, they're already providing shopper services. The mall's already has that space and has employees standing there. And, and so that was kind of, you know, it was natural from like, let's own and operate. So let's, let's sort of rent the concierge. So then let's, let's, you know, go into physical retail, like our paper source partnership and, and now into FedEx where, um, you know, we've actually integrated our technology directly into the FedEx office. So you, know, you walk into the QR code, you don't even have to tell them it's a happy returns QR code. You just hold up your they phone know. and it with the gun and it, it pulls up inside of the browser-based system. Sure. That uses. So it's kind of a natural evolution. But but the, the point I'm trying to make to your question, Anne, is like, I think we were believers in this like asset light. Let's, you know, what's really important about what we do is sort of the software layer, um, you know, enabling these kind of things. Let's, to the extent that we can, use other folks' um, capabilities and other existing infrastructure. To apply that to like the Inmar partnership, you know, you know, today we operate these two processing hubs, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Well, eventually, hopefully sometime in the very near future, we're going to run out of capacity in those. We're going to need to have more processing space. Let's not go sign another lease and, and, you know, let's see if we can figure out a way to capitalize on what infrastructure Inmar already has, you know, just as an example to operate, maybe you know, we, we talk about it internally as the hub in hub, meaning you know, one of our facilities inside of, say, a bigger Inmar facility, um, you know, they already have the space, they already have the employees. What they don't necessarily have and what we could offer is sort of the software layer and the, the, the processing methods. You know, this is how, how we work. Great, let's marry that with what Inmar already is capable of doing um, so that we can continue to be kind of an asset light business that has, um, you know, we're, we're connecting the dots via software. Yeah, long Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah. No, it does. I think it makes, it's spoken like a true entrepreneur, right? I mean, don't make, don't invest too far in things that, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself. You got to make it work bit by bit. And clearly, you know, you guys have found a lot of success doing that. So kudos to you. Dan. Thanks. You know, I, I, 
sometimes when I'm talking, when I talk about it to friends, I'm like, it's kind of like putting a puzzle together. Um, you know, but what's interesting is like when you, like when I, I'm, I'm big into puzzles and you know, I start with the border, right? You separate the pieces. Sure. I start with the border. Like what's interesting about this business is that sometimes, sometimes you have a choice what you work on. Other times you don't. <laughs> you <know? Yes. laughs> sometimes you can say, I want to work in this. Other times it's like, no, you got to solve this part of the puzzle right now. And so there's like a sequencing piece that, you know, is uh, sometimes, awesome. sometimes you have the choice, other times you don't. Say so sometimes the puzzle might be two colors or sometimes it might have colors and patterns that are really easy to figure out <laughs> in terms of deciding right. where to start too. So that's, that's right. awesome, man. Well, hey, let's, you know, this has been a great conversation. I think the reason we love doing this with you is like we can literally hit record and it's such a natural conversation because we've known you for such a long time and it's, it's so interesting and engaging for us to hear where all this is headed because it really is one of the things at the front line, I think, in terms of how people are changing their shopping habits in general and what their expectations are around how they should shop. To close us up, um, what what can we expect from you next? Can you give us any teases of you know what to expect here at the back half of the year or into next year? Yeah, well, so we're headed into what I think is going to be um, a lot of fun, right? Insane, yeah. This holiday is going to be the holiday season that's really defined by e-commerce playing a, the most prominent role it's ever played. Um, the good news when you're in the returns business is, you know, more online shopping typically leads to more returns. Um, and with the footprint we have now, I feel really excited about, um, you know, being able to participate in this season in a way that we haven't just because of the scale that we're now operating. So, you know, holiday is, is, is a really big focus for us. Um, you know, we also, you know, I, I mentioned early that when, you know, our, our merchant conversations, our sort of sales pipeline, you know, dried up, most of those conversations are now back. So I think there's going to be more big retailers that we, we work with. Um, but this idea of like building an ecosystem around your, your, your company, uh, I don't think that was as apparent to us in the first five years as it is now. And so things like the platforms that we integrate with, um, how we participate in those, you know, you know, and I'll just pick on Shopify because they're, you know, the, the kind of most prominent example of this, like really leaning into those ecosystems to say, you know, we're not just an app that sits in the Shopify marketplace, but how we play with all these other, you know, puzzle pieces that a, a merchant you know, would be putting together to truly operate at scale. So um, more, a lot more to come in that area. Um, Stuff that you know we'll, we'll hopefully be in market talking about in Q1 next year, but um, but again, it's it's kind of this recognition that you know as, as you as you said, this is part of a bigger story, which is kind of how retail is changing. Returns plays a big part in that, um, and and so where we fit in that is is going to be to some degree a function of like how well we play with others and and where we draw the boundaries around our business. And I think that with the FedEx partnership, the Inmar partnership, we kind of now. You know, have some very firm lines, and, which is exciting. Um, and and so now it's kind of, can we just execute well and, and continue to grow? Yeah, I think that's that was my big takeaway from the interview too, in terms of how you think about that total network and the partnerships involved. And yeah, man, hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'd love to have you back if and when those 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 new announcements happen and that new progress happens. So I think in the meantime, what. Uh, you know, if people found this engaging and interesting, like what's the best way for them to learn more about Happy Returns or get in touch with you? What should they do? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, happyreturns.com is our website and there's plenty of information about the company there. Um, 
you know, I know you have a lot of people that listen, so I'm not sure I want to <laughs> give my email. But, yeah, you want to give the email address? <laughs> get a lot of emails, man. <laughs> Keep talking like that, man. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. No, but hit hit up, check out happyreturns.com. That's the place to go. Makes a ton of sense. Hey, to, so to everyone listening out there again, David Sobey, the co-founder and CEO of Happy Returns. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I know Ann and I definitely did. And as always, it's now more important than ever. Be careful out there.